Pickleball Rocks is the world leader in pickleball apparel. Click the link in the show notes and visit pickleballrocks.com. It's Pickleball Radio. I'm your host, Chris Allen, here in Asheville, North Carolina, held over for a second big week. That's what it used to say uh, in the, the little movie theater marquee. Scott Moore and Simone Jardim. You cannot have a conversation about who are the best pickleball players in the world without their names being front and center in the conversation. They were both Triple Crown winners at this year's U.S. Open down in Naples. And Simone is in Naples right now. Hey, Simone, thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me and excited to be um, talking about pickleball, always. And another one of the best players in the world. He's out in Colorado, but you never know where in the world he is going to be. His name is Scott Moore. Hey, Scott. Hey, Chris. Great to be back with you. Now, last week, we're kind of breaking down every element of the of the game, just the basic shots, the six basic shots, and uh, just defining what it means to come out as the winner of that shot because as we said last week if you want to win the game you have to win the point and if you want to win the point you have to win the shot and it doesn't mean like on the serve you have to serve an ace it just means that you want to be sort of the dominant player of that particular shot we did the serve and the return wanted to get to the third shot now which a lot of people call the drop shot but these days boy the third shot doesn't automatically mean a drop shot so let's call it let's let's take the drop and then we'll take the drive so now you've done the return you've done the serve you've done the return uh you've got your drop shot now what scott does it take for you to feel like all right i won that drop shot so if it is a drop that i hit for the third then I want to make my opponent hit up on it. So I want it to be unattackable, and I want them to hit up on it, which will give me more time to get close to the kitchen line, which is where I want to be. I don't put pressure on myself to necessarily get in just in one shot. It may take me a fifth shot or a seventh shot, even a ninth shot sometimes, but eventually I want to get into the kitchen line. So if I've set myself up to do that by hitting an unattackable third shot, then I think that's a win for me. How much of a cushion do you build into your drop shots as far as getting over the net? Ideally for me, it's between a foot and two feet over the net because I want a lot of margin for error. I want to make my opponent beat me and not the net because I know the net can beat me every time. Mm-hmm. But um, so- sometimes even if you get it a little too high, you get a chance on the fifth shot to hit a better drop or your opponent may just make a, an unforced error and miss it. So. I want to err on the side of being a little too high than too low. So I I shoot for at least a minimum of about a foot over and an arcing ball. So that's dropping when it gets to them. The Brian and Matt Staub Pickleball Channel video that we always uh, reference. The ball is descending over the net. It reaches its apex on your side of the court, and it's falling over the net when it goes over the net. And Simone, what about you? What What is a clear winner when you hit a drop shot? You know, of course, like my number one priority is that if that ball is bouncing into the kitchen, that would be, you know, ultimately like that's the perfect one. But we all know that that's the hardest one to hit, especially with some of the opponents that we have that are so tall and, and long and they can reach in there. So, yeah, so like Scott said, something that is coming down that they're going to be hitting down up. So if they do decide to attack, then they're going to be probably, you know, attacking a bad ball and then you can take advantage of the, you know, the next one. But ultimately is keeping, you know, a high percentage and people talk about numbers. I always say, oh, you know, I, I think that uh, if I'm hitting eight, nine out of 10, 
in play, I feel like, you know, my chances of winning are much, much higher rather than hitting three really, really good ones, but then missing, you know, missing another three or four and then hitting three really good ones. Well, my percentage is lower that way. I'm hitting six really good ones, but I'm only giving myself a chance to score six times. Do you have a rule when you're trying to to get that perfect arc on your third shot or on your drop shot? Um, Is it like, well, I want it to be eye level, you know, when it goes over the kitchen line or some kind of rule of thumb like that? Um, I just, I mean, I focus on the things that I can control, which is, you know, setting my feet early, um, getting, getting my contact point out in front. So that way I can get, you know, that ball to rise right away. That's, that's what I see a lot of times when teaching is that a lot of people, they're not quite set up with their footwork. So then the ball comes, they're still moving or they're moving towards the ball. And then their contact point tends to be by their pocket or behind their waist, which is, you know, worse. And then that's when they pop up. So really getting your feet set up. As soon as that ball is bouncing, you're ready, you set, your pedal is ready, and then you can make contact with the ball out in front. And then it becomes much more of using your entire body versus just your arm or your wrist. Um, I try to use the less wrist I use, the better for my shots. I feel like I have a lot more control. So yeah, so kind of setting up early and, and knowing what you're doing, like your goal, what, where are you hitting that ball right away? It's like taking a test, you know, you're like A, B, or C. It's like, okay, you're going there, stick to that answer. Don't change your mind. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the other part of the, the third shot that's becoming so much more popular now, the third shot drive. People talk about, especially when there's a weak return, it's like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, waste time dropping it. I'm going to go ahead and drive it. Scott, what exactly are you looking to do? Are you looking to win it right then? Are you looking to just set something up for the next one? Yeah, I'm really looking, Chris, to set something up because, I mean, sometimes you catch them by surprise and you can actually win it, but you want to hit it where they're not expecting it or where they're out of position at their feet if they're, if they're not all the way into the kitchen so that they have to hit up on it or they are, like I said, surprised so that you can win it on the next shot. So I'm not necessarily trying to win it there unless they're completely out of position like Simone talked about, if, if they've stacked and, and I've hit a really good serve wide and they're out of position, then I would go for a winner. But otherwise, just trying to set myself up, but basically take back control of the kitchen, which you don't have when you're serving. So another reason to hit a really good serve, which you can, you can catch them back sometimes. That's what I think it's just setting yourself up to win the point. Gotcha. Now, Simone, when you, uh, when you decide it's time to hit a drive, um, do you place a lot of importance on hitting it away from the opponent or you don't mind hitting it just directly at their body and just hitting it with enough power? It's like, well, just let them deal with it. I don't care if it comes straight at them. I'm just going to let them have to deal with it. Sometimes, you know, it's actually better to just hit it right at their belly button because like I was saying, like they're not expecting. So, so, you know, most of the time it's better. It's easier to stick your paddle out than actually protect your body. So, uh, of course, keeping it low, um, the lower you hit that drive, the better. And again, most of the time is to set it up for the fifth. So whatever that is, if you're driving and your partner is poaching or if you're driving and then setting it up for an easy fifth shot or if you're just, you know, like a, a selfie, you're driving it and the next one you're coming forward ready to attack. So it's all very situational, but ultimately you want to keep that ball low drives that are to the chest a lot of the times it's too easy to bring that ball down again 
But it sounds like to both of you, uh, it really is a, what constitutes a win is maybe a a high fifth ball or a fifth ball where you can easily make something out of it and uh, and go ahead and, and win the point on that fifth. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, sounds good. Now, the opposite of the drive is uh, the lob. A lot of times, I guess the lob is, you know, a lot of people use it. It's a way just to buy some time. Are there other times, Scott, when you would use the lob effectively? And then what do you constitute as a win with a lob? Yeah, I think uh, this is part of my game evolving. Because when I first started, my philosophy was basically never lob. And, and I've just seen it at every level, as you mentioned, intermediate, especially being effective. But even in the pro level now, you're seeing more and more people learn to lob. So I've been working on my lob a lot. Um, it does tend to work a little bit better in, in mixed doubles. But basically, I would, would only use it as an offensive weapon. Right? I don't want to lob from the baseline because it keeps me back where I don't want to be. But if, if I'm at the kitchen line and I'm in a relatively good balance, and it's unexpected, then it can become an absolutely effective weapon if you can get it over them and make it bounce so that they have to run back, putting you in a prime position to win the point. So those are kind of the criteria I'm looking for is a ball where, you know, maybe it's a little bit low, I can't drive it, but they're not expecting a lob from the kitchen line. That's that's when I would tend to use it. Got the element of surprise in there. What about you, Simone? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I mean, I, I feel like a, a defensive lob is, is your last resort. And, and, and there, of course, there's certain levels that work a lot better when mobility is an issue. Um, of course, lobbing over somebody's head, it can always be effective. Uh, but the level that, you know, the, the, the higher level when you, or even I feel like some four or fives, you don't, you don't want to lob them because they're athletic, they can move back quickly, and depending on their sporting background, you know, overheads is a piece of cake. So <laughs> yeah. kind of picking picking the time and the, the place to do it up at the kitchen line. Uh, that's the offensive lob. That's what Scott was talking about. And, and a lot of the times I tend to lob with the person in front of me versus across. So I'll go if I'm, if it happens that I'm thinking with the person right in front of me and, uh, you know, three, four have gone by. That's usually the, the time then and the, the time that I would pick to do it one side better than the other i guess it depends if i can get it over their left shoulder even better just make them run back and then you gain positioning mm-hmm. so you're you're kind of selling a dink but then you you do the lob right there and it just and it takes them again by surprise yeah and and you know and you can be all, like out of, out of the air or or when the ball is bouncing in the kitchen of course out of the air is more difficult to execute, but it's better because it gives them even less time to react. Either way, preferably in front of you know the person in the kitchen, so you don't you know down the line versus cross court versus diagonal. Let's talk about the all important dink when we come back. It's pickleball radio. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health conscious people, including runners, cyclists, strength trainers, vegans, and pickleball players. In fact, over half of Health IQ customers save between 4 and 33% on their life insurance. Just as good drivers save money on their car insurance, people who live an active lifestyle should save money on their life insurance. Go to healthiq.com pickleball and see if you qualify. That's healthiq.com pickleball. You'll find a link in the show notes, healthiq.com pickleball. See how much Health IQ can save you. 
You're listening to Pickleball Radio. My name is Chris Allen. I am joined by the two Triple Crown winners of the 2018 U.S. Open, Scott Moore in Colorado, Simone Jardim down in Naples, Florida. We've been going over what you consider a win in each of the uh, different elements of the game, and we are now down to the all-important dink. So you're down at the line, you're you're in the you're in the dink rally, and uh, as that ball's coming over. What is the next thing when you hit it back that you consider, all right, I'm going to win this little dink exchange right here, Scott? Well, I think uh, Daniel taught me this. The term he uses is awkward. So to make it awkward for your opponent, which means you have them either take a step or two, bend over, hit it where it's not expected, not let them get in a rhythm with an unattackable dink would would be my definition of a win in Daniel's terminology, making it awkward for your opponent. For the new listeners who come on board all the time, uh, Scott's son Daniel Moore is uh, also a two-time national champion and current national champion of the, uh, the men's pro division at nationals. So he's actually won. He's actually won six national. But oh, okay, I was just, yeah, two for the but, the men's, but, uh, but yeah, six-time uh, national champion. Don't mean to sell him right. short there. Um, yeah, two-time but, uh, doubles, right. You're right. Yeah. And um, what about you, Simone? Uh, do you, uh, is awkward uh, the, the word that you would choose uh, to constitute a win on a dink? Uh, getting that ball to bounce. You know, a lot of the times people focus so much, and, and I did too, you know, because I, when I first started playing, I, I hit the ball hard, and I thought, oh, you know, if I'm hitting the ball low, it should be fine. Well, mm-hmm. at the level that we're playing, hitting the ball low doesn't mean anything if the ball is not bouncing into your opponent's kitchen. Uh, because the moment that that ball is bouncing, they can attack it. There's so many people that you think, oh, there's no way they can attack that ball. Well, the ball is low, but it's not bouncing. They, You know, there's some so many players with such great touch and great wrist that they can generate power from a ball down, you know, from mm-hmm. their knees. Uh, and now the ball is coming at, a, you know, you're only 14 feet from each other and, and the ball is coming at 100 miles per hour in your face. So that's where to be, uh, making that ball bounce in my opponent's kitchen, it's my number one priority. And of course, um, if I can create something with it, you know, like talk, talk about making it awkward, well, if I'm messing up their footwork, mm-hmm. um, if I'm making that ball move and, and creating something, that they will have to really work hard to get that ball back, um, you know, to stay, to bounce in my kitchen versus, you know, popping it up so we can finish. So I really want to manipulate, I, you know, I want to make make those moves, but making that ball bounce into my opponent's kitchen kitchen is, is my number one priority. Okay, so if they, are, if they are able to take it in the air, then you feel like that's not a successful dink. If it hasn't bounced, you, you need to you need to work on that, and you need to to get that ball to where they must take it on the bounce. It's shallow enough to where they have to let it bounce before they can do anything with it. Is that right? Yeah, and it's all about positioning. Let's say if my opponent, of course, backs up from the kitchen line, then my target becomes a little better. Then, of course, I I can go a little deeper. But if they're up at the line and taking balls early, I you know my I think changes. It might have to be a little shorter because I don't want my opponent attacking that ball, you mm-hmm. know, out of the air. Gotcha. 
Well, I think you both have given us just you've painted a picture with words. You've given us a lot of great things to think about. Again, if you want to win the game, you need to win the point. And if you want to win the point, you need to win the shot. And you guys have kind of laid out with each of these six shots from last weekend, this week, what it means to come out as the winner on each one of those shots. So great job. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to to break it down into such a small level and uh, and give us a, a triple crown winner's perspective as to what it means to be a winner in each of those six shots. So thank you very much. Thank you, Chris, for having us. Now tell us again, you mentioned last week, Scott, you teamed up with Rocket Grubs and the whole Pickleball Rocks team for some academies here in this country. You're going to be doing that. Yeah. And then you're headed uh, You're headed around the world as well. Tell us where you're going to be. Yeah, we, we're domestic. We're calling it high-performance pickleball with the Grubs, and we're very excited to do that and, and try to actually give people the best pickleball experience of their life, make it a simple game. And uh, as far as the worldwide stuff, my kids, John and Daniel, Daniel, you know, lives in Japan and he's all over Asia. Next month, he will be in Thailand, in Hong Kong, in India and in Kenya, scouting places to take people in the future. We'll do a, a pickleball safari in Kenya, hopefully in 2019. Wow. And just continue to travel around Europe. We're doing Italy and Spain this year. Next year, we'll be in the Netherlands. So I'm just kind of hanging on. To their coattails as they <laughs> travel the world and we're getting to teach the game we love and have adventure and it's just kind of a dream come true to get to do that with your kids so I keep thinking it can't get any better and it just keeps getting better Chris so very thankful and uh, going to be a co-captain for the Bainbridge Cup North America team so we are recruiting North Americans to come to Italy with us and uh, play on the team we also have a tour available which they can find at uh, pickleballtrips.com so we'd love to have people join us for the trip of a lifetime to Italy in July. Sounds like a great time. And uh, we have a link to it in the show notes. All you have to do is just scroll down and you can click on pickleballtrips.com. It'll take you right over there and you can see which one you want to join them on. And uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. How about you, Simone? If we uh, we link to uh, U.S. Open Pickleball Academy, which uh, Simone teaches and, and does private lessons and instruction, there is a calendar. If you go to the U.S. Open Pickleball Academy, there's a, a like an appointment calendar so people can see your availability there and uh, yes. see if they would be fortunate enough to be there when you're going to be there and uh, schedule a, a private lesson with you. I've known a, a couple of people who have, and they've gotten a world of benefit from it and just can't say enough about the, the things that uh, you taught them and the work that you did with them. So come very highly recommended, as I would expect. Thank you again, and congratulations to you both on your Triple Crown success. Uh, that is Simone's second Triple Crown in the U.S. Open. She won last year as well. So we will see if she can make it a triple, triple crown next year. So this year, Nationals at Indian Wells. I know that's got to be exciting for both you guys. It's going to be absolutely awesome. We'll look forward to it. We also look forward to talking with you both here on Pickleball Radio next time. Thank you, Thank Chris. Thank you. Awesome players on the court. Class acts off the court. Simone Jardim and Scott Moore. This is Pickleball Radio, the official podcast of Pickleball News. Are you on our free email list? 
Well, you need to be. Go to pickleballnews.com, and immediately when you do sign up, you get access to a great video from our friend, top coach Mark Renison. He did it exclusively for Pickleball News. It's called The Seven Essential Skills of Championship Pickleball, and it is must-viewing. Head over to pickleballnews.com right now, sign up, check out the video, and we'll look forward to keeping in touch with you. I'm Chris Allen. This is Pickleball Radio.